So I want to wish you a happy new year, but I don't really. Because I'd rather wish you an extraordinary new year. Extraordinary is a word that we don't use all that much. So let me throw some one-word definitions, synonyms, if you will, for the word extraordinary. It is to be unusual or remarkable. For instance, here is an extraordinary thing. The Dallas Cowboys are in the playoffs. It's unusual. It's rather remarkable. It is extraordinary. So I want to wish you an extraordinary new year. Another couple of synonyms. It is to be unexpected or the astonishing. Case in point from the geopolitical realm this week. The extraordinary happened when the United States failed to block a resolution against Israel in the UN. The reason that's extraordinary is because we always block those things, okay? I don't really care what your position on that is. It's just one of those things that the reality is that extraordinary hits us from time to time in our daily lives, and it pays for us to pay attention to what's going on. And one of the reasons, I think, is because we tend to get used to the norm, That's a little bit redundant because it is the norm. It's what we get used to anyway, but we start settling into the norm. And then by definition, when extraordinary happens, it catches us by surprise. Let me pull that into the religious, the spiritual world for us this morning. How long has it been since you saw God do something extraordinary? I want to kind of revolve around this idea today, and one of my New Year's resolutions is to, be, to, to preach shorter sermons. You're welcome. <laughs> Let's hope that we make it more than one week. What, what the nickel seats over here had something to say, I didn't hear that. But, so uh, so uh, listen quickly today. But this is a transition sermon. It's one of those that I'm closing out the series we've been in, which has been in the book of Acts. And the Holy Spirit, God with us in the form of his Holy Spirit. Uh, and we transition into the, the series that I'll preach now through the first of the, or to the beginning of the summertime. But I, I want us to get around this idea of extraordinary as it hits us in our everyday lives. How long has it been since you saw God do something extraordinary? And as we face this brand new year, here on the first day, I wonder if you have already set yourself up for another year just like the one you just had. People get all up in arms about New Year's resolutions and whether we should or shouldn't make them, and some people just adamantly refuse to do that, and I kind of just echo back to you what Aaron said earlier relative to that, but it's possible that by not doing anything and not being resolved to anything that you just set yourself up for another year of the humdrum normal which is, tends to be abnormal Christian experience. God, I believe, specializes in the extraordinary. So let's pull it down for us in 2017 as a church. What might God do in the coming year here? Will it be more of the same? Or will it be Extraordinary. In this passage today, Acts chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there and 
Uh, after today, we'll be out of the book of Acts and we'll go backwards into the book of John for a while. But uh, as we come to the book of Acts in this particular passage, uh, what we find is that God shows up in an extraordinary way in this passage. It's an amazing thing, really, and this is one of those times that I'm, I'm going to ask you to step out of the way we tend to approach Scripture, which is, oh yeah, I've heard that story before, and we know the high points of the story, and usually by doing that, we surf right over the top of the surface of a passage like this, and we miss some of the meat that's in it for us. And at the very least, when you walk out of here today, I want you to have come into intimate contact with Scripture. Because in this passage, we see multiple levels of extraordinary as far as God is at work. So read with me here. We pick up in chapter 3 of the book of Acts. It's after Pentecost. It's, after, it's long now after Jesus has been resurrected and ascended back to heaven. The Holy Spirit came at, at uh, Pentecost. And so now we pick up in the aftermath of that, chapter 3, verse 1. And now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said... I'm a Baptist minister. I don't have any money. No, wait a minute. That's not, that's not what he said. I might have been a little loose with scripture there. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Extraordinary on multiple levels. So here's the question that has to burn before us today. Is this part of God's normal activity, or is this just a Bible story to give us something to read? Now, be careful how you answer that, because I suspect that most of us in here would be willing to go to fight about the fact that this is, in fact, real history. It really happened. I believe that. We would fight about the fact that somebody might even say, well, you know, that's just a Bible story. It doesn't mean much. We would fight against that notion. But the real proof of what we think about a passage like this gets down in, well, let's just say it this way. Does your life, the way you live it out, reflect what you believe about this passage? Is God still trafficking in the extraordinary like he did here? Or was that just stuff he did while people were writing scripture? Well, let's look at a couple of things because I happen to believe and I'm firmly in the camp that says that God still traffics in the extraordinary. And my suspicion, and I'm not one of those guys who looks into the new year and makes all these prognostications, uh, that's no more than a weather guesser like we have on TV. But the reality is that God is the same God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he still traffics in the extraordinary with his people. 
So what can we learn from this? How can we take something from this today in just a handful of minutes that will help us and equip us that maybe 2017 holds some extraordinary stuff for us? Well, the unfortunate part of this that I have to start with is that typically extraordinary happens in the midst of an impossible situation. Go back and look at verse 2 with me in this passage because I think what we find here is, uh, again, a deep level of impossible. Verse 2, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. And what we find with this is this impossible situation. Let's not forget that this guy lived his entire life at the mercy of people around him. Lame from birth, unable to walk, and so that means that people had to pick him up and carry him every day if he was going anywhere to do anything he needed help from other people. He didn't have the medical uh, community that we have and the great strides that have been made uh, in situations like his today. He was at the mercy of people around him. And then on top of that, once they got him there and laid him down there, he was at the mercy of those people who were going to the temple to worship. And one of the pillars of Judaism, especially in the first century, was this idea of helping people, giving alms to those who were less fortunate than yourselves. So he was at the perfect place to be at the mercy of religious people. That'll be really handy for us when we get towards the end of this sermon to remember that, but I want us to get a handle on it today, especially the depth of how needy this guy was. It was an impossible situation for him. What's your impossible situation today? We all have some. Maybe I should say it this way. If you don't have an impossible situation staring you in the face this morning, just hang on because 2017 has one for you, I'm sure. It's just the way life is for us. Life has a way of throwing things and situations in front of us that move us beyond our own resources. God capitalizes on those situations. I would even say it this way. God engineers circumstances to take us beyond ourselves so that we fall into him for help. What is your impossible situation today? Financial, medical, relationship, maybe it's a job need, maybe it's just one of those things where your life is just not firing on all cylinders and you know it, but you don't know what to do about it. All of us, either now or soon, will have impossible situations. The good news is that that sets us up for extraordinary from the hand of God. Let me give you a couple of examples on a personal level, for, on, the, on the, the personal level first and then on the corporate level. It's, it's amazing to see God step into impossible situations and then what happens because of that. I, I guess the first time I really remember seeing something like this was when I was coming out of high school into those early years of being married. And uh, my father was pastoring a church out in Odessa, and my mother was teaching the young married couple Sunday school class at the time. And it was a hopping group. There were lots of people there, and they did all kinds of stuff together. We had a co-ed volleyball team, which was enough to make any man lose his religion. and um, or It made me lose my religion anyway, but... Um, 
But we, had, we just did a lot together. We were building fellowship, as we called it at the time, or community, as we tend to call it today. We did a lot of stuff together. We were, we were a tight group. But there were some, some problems introduced into that group, and, and they were impossible situation kind of problems. There weren't so much uh, personality conflicts as much as it was stuff that grew out of a natural thing. There was three, a group of or three different couples in that group who were unable to have children. And so in that group, all these other young couples were beginning to build their families, and they were having children, and, and it was a major, major problem issue, especially for those three couples. And I remember very clearly my mom walked in one day and uh, she had been with the Lord and apparently the Lord uh, impressed her to say a few things to us as a gathered group. And here's what she said. You know what? I believe that God has said that we're to pray for these three couples, that if God's going to, if it is God's plan for them to have children, that they would have children naturally. Now, let me just stop and say, I recognize that this is a very sticky kind of a thing for a pastor to talk about in public because this is a common thing in our society, and it's a real issue for a lot of people. Um, And some people can be very insensitive to that, and I don't want to do that at all. I'm trying to illustrate the point that God does extraordinary things in impossible situations. And so as a Sunday school group, we began to pray for those three couples, And last week on Sunday, Christmas Day, after we finished here, uh, Teresa and I loaded up and we went to Huntsville to spend the rest of the day with my parents for Christmas. And mom started talking about those three couples because she had gotten some kind of a card or something from those different ones of those couples with their grown adult children in the pictures. You see, we were there to see when God stepped in and did an extraordinary thing in a humanly impossible situation. And it impacted the church. Clearly it impacted the couples, but there was something, it's like electricity just kind of shot through the whole church over that deal. I want you to hang on to that. I'm going to come back to it. But before I come back to that, I want to, I'm going to put this on a corporate level because the reality is that many churches, I would even say most churches in our day, gave up on extraordinary a long time ago. And many churches have just settled into a ho-hum Christian experience, which is week to week, well, we know we got church on Sunday, and so, well, we'll just go do our church thing, and we do programming, and we do all that kind of stuff, and there's nothing extraordinary about it. By the way, I brought this book in case the sermon got boring today, I could read something, but, um, so let me read now. This book was written by a professor of mine, and, um, I'll go ahead and let this part of it out now. Uh, It was written in the late 80s, okay? Uh, I say that because the first little blip that I want to read here uh, could have been written today. That's one of the reasons I wanted to bring it to our attention because this guy is a professor of mine. He was a church history professor, uh, and he uh, he made some comments in this book. I went back and read through it again this week, and and I was, uh, it's uncanny even prophetic at how well he forecast the church of our day back in the 80s. 
So here's what he said, and he's quoting uh, another guy here, but he says this. Um, well, I'll just say it. The late David Watson wrote that the struggle of the 21st century, now remember, written in the late 80s, so 20 plus years ago and into our day now, 30 years ago, he, this guy, David Watson, wrote that the struggle of the 21st century will be between Marxism, Islam, and third world Christianity. Now, let me stop the reading for a second and put that in context. Remember what I'm talking about, about just humdrum, ordinary, no frills kind of day-to-day religion as opposed to God doing the extraordinary. And here this guy, three decades ago, forecasts forward that the big struggles, the ideology struggles will be between Marxism, and by the way, if you don't know what that means, just flash backward to the political struggle of the last eight or nine months. Somebody's car's going off out there. Maybe that's my alarm. Maybe it's time for me to shut up, right? All right. We got people going to see who it is. We'll come back and they'll tell us who needs to go. All right. So, so he flashes forward three decades and says Marxism, Islam, and third world Christianity will be the great struggles. West, here's what he says. Western Christianity is too weak to be of help. Now, you know what I think? I think this guy's a prophet, (laughs) or at least partially so, because the times in which we live, the church, let's just put it in America, the church in America has been silenced as to having a voice that matters. So he goes forward, and he says this. He quotes another guy named Blesh, and he says this. We find ourselves today in a cultural situation in which historical Christianity appears to be an eclipse. He suggests that the apparent success may also be an end-end summer before the total collapse of organized religion in this country. I think, for what it's worth, that he puts his finger on the pulse of 21st century church society and American society and says to us, we may have missed our chance. Okay, that's true enough if God's not in the picture. But the reality is God is always in the picture. I would say it this way, God is the picture for us. But we have to hear, and from this to what we see around us, because we're called to step out into this society and this culture that may bear trappings of a religion of days gone by for us, but is still just kind of normal humdrum stuff. I want to come back to this passage for just a little bit. But I want to start now to, to just underscore this. It begins, extraordinary, begins with an impossible situation. I think we're in an impossible situation. It calls for something more from us. So here's the next part of it. The impossible situation is met by an unbelievable 
response. Look at verse 6. Now, now's when I want you to put on Simon Peter's sandals, and I want you to step into the situation here. Let's wear the situation. You be there. You be in his position, and look at verse 6 where it says, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. So here's the question that you have to answer. If you're Simon Peter in that circumstance, Do you have enough belief in God to say to a guy who has been lame all of his life, you're healed, stand up and walk? Let's bring it home, all right? Let's do it this way. Look around. If if you're wearing glasses, raise your hand, okay? I'm raising my hand because I wear contacts. All right, so look around. All right, so if one of you really feels froggy, walk up to one of these people wearing glasses and say, in the name of Jesus, you're healed and you don't need those glasses anymore. All right, if you think you need to do that, just restrain yourself for a little bit, okay? None of us feel like we can do that, right? How many times lately have you walked up to somebody in a wheelchair and said to them, hey, you're healed, get up and walk out of here? We don't do that. I'm glad you're not doing that because I might think that you need to have a consultation with the pastor or the music guy in this case because he's the smart one on the bunch. What would it take for Simon Peter to take it upon himself to go in a situation that was impossible and say to the guy, you know what, you're over that. Get up and walk. So I'll just put it this way and we'll move on. Is your faith in Christ sufficient to encounter the situations in front of you? Now, I want you to be really careful. I'm going to pause for a minute so that we all get back on the same page here. Because if I was sitting out there listening, I'd be hearing what I'm saying now going, eh, that sounds a little dicey. Let's be careful. So I'm not talking about some of that stuff that you'll get from... uh, some other preachers who frequent the airwaves who somehow believe that if you just believe strong enough then you can force God's hand on something. That's not at all what I'm saying. The reality is that the impossible situations that we encounter in life are because there are impossible situations that we encounter in life. That's just how it is. And my ability to work up enough faith to overcome that is not at all what I'm talking about here. Some of that's just flat out heresy. But we got to, you know, we, we, you got to deal with Simon Peter here. You can't go through this passage without dealing with the moxie that Simon Peter shows when he walks into an impossible situation and talks like it's just, that's just done. We're going to do something different now. But you see, The extraordinary, as God works it out in us, in those impossible situations, they often require us to have one of those meetings with God, just him and us, where he takes our faith and he stretches it. My dad used to talk about a faith window. You know, I believe, let's say it this way, do you believe that if you needed $5 before the day was out that God could find a way to give you $5? And most of us would go, sure. 
But if we said you believe that God could give you $5 million before the day's over, that's a little harder for me to believe. My window's not quite that big. <laughs> so, extraordinary? Or is this just one of those Bible stories where it makes a good point? Is your faith in Christ sufficient for the encounter of the situation before you? All right, so let me do the conclusion and we're done here. Because I think that there's some things we need to get here. Let's look at the results. Let's be reminded of what we see. Because when God steps into those situations and does something extraordinary, people notice. All right, I'm going to say that again because I'm not sure you got it. When God steps into a situation and does the extraordinary, people notice. Now, what we do with that matters, and I'll get to that in just a second, but let me illustrate my point in verse 8. And leaping up, he stood, and he began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Clearly, this guy knew that God had done something extraordinary. Now, the old, it's tired, it's an old, tired observation of this passage, and I get it, so I'm just going to remind us of it and not make a big deal of it, but some say that the miracle, there's a miracle within a miracle here, because, well, I have a grandson who's, I don't know, 17, 18 months old, something like that. He's been going through this learning to walk stage. Uh, he's a trip, because he's got this big, bulbous head, and, it, and he starts walking, and, he, and he, he starts following his head, Right? And he's not quite figured out that if he gets his head squarely over his body, then it's easier, right? And, but it's a process, and it's taking some time for him to learn that. This guy never walked, and all of a sudden, according to Scripture, he's healed, he jumps up, he's walking, he's leaping. That's a miracle within a miracle, right? Extraordinary? Absolutely. And he gets it. Because he starts following Simon, Peter, and John around, and it's a big deal. But he's not the only one. Verses 9 and 10, we see it also. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement of what had happened to him. Extraordinary. When God works in your life, People notice. I'm intrigued by the way we do church in our age. Because the tendency that we have, and I, I'm, not, I'm not saying this is wrong, I'm just intrigued by it, that we by and large try to get people to come to church as if church is the solution to their problems. Well, I get enough of that, and I'm glad. I want you to bring your friends. But at the same time, I think there's more to this whole extraordinary thing than that. And so let me ask it to you this way. What might God do in Crestwood Baptist Church in 2017? And the answer to that is we just don't know. We have no clue. Life today is so different than it was life a year ago for all of us. Things happen. Things change. Stuff we didn't anticipate. Some people are no longer with us today who were here last year. Some people who are here today will not be with us by the time we get to the end of the year. That happens. People die. People move. 
We don't know what happens this year. But I do know this. God still traffics in the extraordinary. This doesn't need to be. I would even go beyond that to say this cannot be just another year for us. We need God to do extraordinary things with us, in us, and through us. So let's learn a little bit from Simon Peter. We can't force that to happen. It's a God thing, not an us thing. So here's what I get. Three different things very quickly that I think help us. First of all, Simon Peter teaches us that we need to be at the right place. Simon Peter and John were going to the temple. It was the day that they needed to be there. They go there. There are certain places that we need to be. I, I'm all for, I'm totally believe that church is important. We need to invest our lives in one another, but it all doesn't happen at church. A lot of the, the connection that we have, even with each other, occurs off of the campus of this building. But certainly, for God to be doing things in the lives of other people, if he's going to use us to do it, we've got to be out there with those other people. So we've got to be in the right place. That's the first thing. The second thing that we find here is that we need to be able to see the opportunity. Don't miss this. I don't want to be unkind with this, and it's going to sound a little bit that way, but th- this guy who was healed here had been doing that day after day after day after month after year all of his life. And if you're the person who's going to the temple on a regular basis like all good Jews did, then sooner or later that guy sitting on the, on the ground out there is just a piece of religious furniture. I, I know that sounds harsh and I don't really mean it to sound that way, but the reality is you know the reality is that we can go past something so many times that we lose track of that very thing. If I were to ask you, if your life depended on it, name four different things that are in the foyer to this building. Could you name some of those things? How many bookshelves do we have out there? How many different pieces of propaganda uh, are on the shelf out there? And the reality is, if I just said, look at me now, how many wreaths are hanging on the side walls? Most of us couldn't do that because we fall into a pattern where we just don't see stuff. And for this guy, a piece of religious furniture that they did their Jewish thing and threw him alms from time to time, his need was always there. This day, Simon Peter saw it. An extraordinary happened because of that. Part of my prayer for us as a church is that we would have a heightened sense of what's out there. We we have a lot of things that we do, a lot of things we can do, a lot of things that we should do. But if we don't see the need, and if that need doesn't present us with a burden that we can't get away from, we'll settle into humdrum Christianity. Let me tell you something. When the need starts mattering to us, extraordinary is right around the corner with God. So he's at the right place. He saw the opportunity. And finally, we got to point people to Jesus. And I'm not going to take the time to read this, but if we went to chapter 3 and read from verse 11 through uh, 26, we would find Simon Peter's sermon. It's a response to that. Uh, No preacher is going to miss a chance to preach, I guess, but 
here, here's what I get from this. If you go read what Simon Peter did there, he didn't invite them to church. He pointed them to Jesus. And we, we got we to be really good at that. I was listening to a podcast this week. It's actually a podcast from a guy who's a pastor in Canada. And um, he had a guy that some of you will know his name at least. Louis Giglio was uh, the guest on this podcast. And Louis Giglio, if you don't know who he is, uh, he's a guy's theology is a little messed up, I think. But uh, for the most part, uh, he's a pretty strong voice. Uh, long, decades-long ministry with college students, and uh, he's a pastor of a church in the Atlanta area. And Giglio said something in there that made me sit up and take note. Here's what it was. He said, you know, one of the tragedies of the church of our age is that we can go to church and we can surround ourselves with church people, and in the conversations that we have, you never hear people talking about Jesus. He says, well, the college students that I deal with, they're talking about renewable energy and all those kind of things, and they're talking about social activism and all that kind of stuff. But he said, you know, they don't ever talk about Jesus. So let me me just challenge us with that. Go back and think through the conversations you've had even today at church with other Christians. How much Jesus found his way into those conversations? I don't know who it was. I heard it not too long ago. I think it's kind of one of those things I hear from youth ministers. But uh, you know, for a while, the, the phrase was, you know, let's make Jesus famous. So here's a news flash for you. He's already famous. He'd been famous a long time before we got here. And I'm all for what the sentiment of that is. So let me turn the words a little bit because this is my resolution for the new year. And I would love for you to join me in it. I am resolved to make much of Jesus. Because with Jesus, you get extraordinary. And so we've been talking through the book of Acts in these first three chapters, and it's taken us three months to do that. And we find enough there to know that God is still at work, and God through the Holy Spirit is still working in our world today. So what I'm going to do as we move forward now through the spring is we're going to talk about Jesus. In John's gospel, we get the words and the work of Jesus, and it is nothing short of extraordinary. So let's make much of him this year. Let me ask you to bow your heads, if you will, as we go to invitation time. Here's the invitation that I make to you. On the mass level, for all of us, I'm I'm intrigued and would encourage you to handle some of what I'm talking about in your own life. Have you settled for just normal, which tends to be abnormal, Christian living? Or is your life marked by the extraordinary where you see God doing things in the life of people around you, or maybe your life, that causes other people to take note If not, if that's not how your life is being lived out, then my encouragement to you is join me in the resolution that says this year I will make much of Jesus in my life. That trickles down for me in a lot of different ways, little pieces of my life that I'm going to move to change. But, But the goal is 
that Jesus is front and center all the time, every day. So that's my invitation to you first. But I, I have to quickly follow that to say if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, then that's where you have to start. So do you have a relationship with him? Have you come to trust Jesus as the very son of God who died so that you could have a relationship with your creator? It only happens through him. So if you don't know Christ on a personal level, then my invitation to you today is that you would get that fixed and straight right now today. As soon as we stand up, we'll start singing, and I would encourage you to come down, and we'll pray with you. Aaron's here. We'll pray with you. we got others who I know would love to talk to you about Jesus Christ and his role in your life, but you got to take that step. It's also possible, as we go into this new year, that God is pushing upon you a decision that says, okay, I want to be a part of a church that makes much of Jesus, and that's who we intend to be. And so maybe God is putting on you to join us and be part of us as a member of this church. This invitation time is for all of those things. So whatever God's dealing with you about, and if it's just for you just want me to pray with you, I'm happy to do that. Let's stand and sing and you come. Father, use this time for your glory as our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.